Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm happy to be. Your beard here. looks nice. Yeah. It doesn't look. Your beard looks nice, Andy. It doesn't look as nice as yours does, though. Oh, I like it though. I don't think I've seen you with a beard like that before. Really? I don't think that's it true. Seems, it seems thicker than it ever has been. Okay. Okay. Maybe it's maybe it's the camera. It might be the it camera. Adds, <laughs> it adds follicles. Yeah, it does. <laughs> doesn't add 10 pounds, so that's follicles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? Let's just get into it this week. What is our topic for this week? All right. Uh, let's go ahead and run our topic, or run our random topic generator here. Patrick. <laughs> So it looks like, uh, Patrick, our topic comes from Ty Hatch. And oh, Ty Hatch. Ty Hatch, yeah. Should mm. be pretty good. So um, Ty wants to know how to use data to inform your product design. Ooh. How to use data to inform product design. First of all, is it data or data? Andy. Hmm. I think it is data, personally. Data. I would I would I would agree. I feel like though sometimes I have said um different ones because of like where it's been in the sentence. Like if it's at the end, sometimes I'll say data. Yeah. I feel like it just kinda of depends on the context of the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> say it depends on what it's next to i guess yeah, yeah. like what other words it's next to like like starting a sentence with hmm. with data just is wrong it's just like yeah that doesn't make any sense yeah. but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna check you, out all this all this data that, the name fine. the name of the data the name of the data yeah i don't know it's weird <laughs> It does depend on how you say it. Yeah. On where it's at. Uh, Data. Great character. Data was also a great character. Yes. In uh, Star Trek, right? Absolutely. Let's go over some more data facts before we jump into <laughs> Should we look up the... Uh, According to Webster Dictionary. The history of the, the, history of the word data? <laughs> Let's look it up real quick. <laughs> I got my uh, Etim Online app. I was looking up orange earlier. Did you know the orange was named orange the word? Uh, was the name of the fruit before it was the color. Is that right? Interesting, huh? Interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, looks like data, data, data. I think, a ton on data you know, before here. we move on to data, back to orange, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I think it was a good <clears throat> idea to name that fruit orange, you know, which, you know, typically when it's ripe and ready to go, it is an orange fruit. And I think that fruit is very mm-hmm. lucky that it doesn't have any other, like, species that are, are not that color. You know, like apples, they'll have, like, all these different colors of apples. <clears throat> you got your green apples and your yellow apples, right? 
Oh, yeah, it's a good thing true. we didn't name apples red. <laughs> or b- yeah, bananas yellow. Reds. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or carrots orange. Well, but, <laughs> but see, that's that's the interesting thing is because the they were named oranges before the color was named oranges. Because I was thinking the same thing. Like, yeah. The color comes from the fruit, which by then we already knew that it only had one color, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's very interesting. This is why I have the app on my phone, so I can learn these things. Uh, data, uh, 1640s, uh, quote, a fact given or granted, classic plural of datum, from the Latin datum, thing given. Um, <coughs> in classical use, uh, originally, a fact given as the basis for calculation in mathematical problems. Uh, from 1897 as, quote, numerical facts collected for future reference. It's exactly what we're talking about. Data, collecting facts, numerical facts for future reference, a.k.a. design. That's nice. exactly what Ty's talking about. Exactly. And I had no... So how do you do that? I had no idea datum was a word. Yeah, datum. Or datum. I don't know. Datum. Datum or datum. Data. Yeah. Data. 1640s. That's the first use. Nice. <clears throat> All right. And then it's and then since since 1897 it's been used more for numerical fact collection. Okay. Okay. So there you go. There you go. How do you use data in your designs? How do you do how do you use data in your designs, Andy? I think the first the first thing that you have to do to use data in your designs is to collect the data um, so that you can have it to, you know, make the decision, right? So there's, of course, Patrick, lots of ways that you can collect that data. And you have to make sure you're collecting the right data, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think... The correct data. I think you are going to have to ask yourself as a designer, um, as a product team, as a development team... What is the information that you want or need to know in order to make the decisions that you have to make, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think if you can first have those, uh, those, those, those things that you need to know laid out, that can help you understand the data you need to get. And then you're going to be able to get that data a number of different ways, of course, um, but that is definitely the first and, and most important part of collecting data is understanding what you need to know, because I've I've had um, I've had conversations with developers when we're talking about like when we're building something and we're like, OK, what do we want to track here? And, you know, I've asked, like, what's possible? And they say we can track anything. You know, we can get all of the data. We can, yeah. you know, give you any interaction that's going on, how long it took heat maps, like all that stuff, we can give it to you, but what do you need to make a decision, right? Um, so it's, it's, I think it's really important to understand what you need to know. Sometimes you're not going to always know what you need to know in the moment. You might need to know that later. So it could be good mm-hmm. to, to say like, it could be good to have this information for future use, but we probably don't need it right now. But starting out, um, define what are your needs in terms of knowledge. Yeah. What do you need to collect? Mm -hmm. Step one. Step two, would you say, would you say step two would be, um, understanding what, 
what design's purpose is on some level so you can apply the correct data. Yeah. Like, what is design good for? You know, like it's good for adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, good design uh, is great for adoption, keeping people interested, right? Not, you know, you don't want people bouncing out of your product and churning away. Yeah. So like like an example of that, you, so if you're looking at data, you're trying to collect data, um, and then also to apply that data, you need to understand, okay, well, what what is design good for? What does it apply? Because it's not going to apply to everything, right? But um, to all the data. So... <clears throat> If design is good at increasing adoption, well, a good design is, is good for increasing adoption, then that's those are the numbers. You want to look at numbers like, are people staying, right? Login times, are they logging in? How long are they logging in for? Um, are they staying logged in during the day? Like, there's all kinds of data you can look at or conclusions you can, you can draw from. Usage data, right, mm-hmm. um, that you get from the application as far as like are people using the product? Are they are they adopting well to the product? So I think understanding what design does, because I mean you'd you'd have you could collect data and use it for anything, like you said, you could apply it to anything. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so now that you have collected data, <laughs> um, well, you kind of you first of course design what you need to know um, and understand what it's for, as you said. Um, I guess the next step is, um, you know, you're, you're kind of probably defining actually how you're going to collect that data. So, um, you mm-hmm. could have analytics, um, already, um, built into your application and into, um, your website or whatever you're building for. Um, you could have third party tools also that you're using to help collect that data. Um, for those analytics, they it could be built in homegrown analytics. They could be third party ones. Um, so kind of figuring out how you're going to get that data is of course, very important. There's different means of getting that. You can also send out surveys to users and just get straight numbers from them. Um, so of course there's, there's many different ways that it's, it's definitely important to figure out what are the ways that are available to you and which ones are the most, um, efficient, um, because it sometimes will take work to build out, um, a way to understand and collect data. Um, so for example, Mm -hmm. if you, if you want to, um, track a certain thing, you might need a developer to build a way for them to track a certain thing. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, of course. So you would want to work with, uh, with whoever manages your analytics, also the developers who are, um, who are supporting those analytics and the code and, um, find the right ways to collect that data. Um, that you want. Hey, Andy, I have a question for you. Yeah, Patrick. What is the difference between click data and event data? What's the difference between click and event data? Yeah. I think um, I'm going to take a guess here, and I think click data is um, when the user is actually taking um, somewhat of a physical action. So for example, they're clicking on things um, and interacting with something. I think event data is probably something that can happen um, more passively 
Um, so it could be something that happens after a click. It could be an event, um, or it could be something that's happening uh, that uh, you know that maybe the user is looking at something. That could be an event potentially. Um, so I, th I feel like um, click is more interactive and event is potentially more passive. But that's off the top of my head. Uh, what do you feel about that? I I don't I don't have a clear answer. I mean, this is like this is like product management world, right? Yeah. But like, I've never I've never really been super clear on the difference between click and event. I always looked at event as like create task, right? As an event. Hmm. The the click is when they click the button to create the event. Oh, okay. But so, but I think I think it's somewhere in between what we were both talking about. Um, but there's a difference, right? There's a difference between I think the diff I think understanding the data that way that you're collecting <clears throat> and what you're going to collect is there's there's click data, which is more, you know, they clicked a button, they clicked this thing, they clicked that. How many times? How many times did somebody click? the create task button doesn't necessarily correlate to how many times they created a task, right? Mm -hmm. Versus an event means that they created a task. So they close the loop Okay. where they did something else. Yeah. So I think when you're looking at collecting too, what you brought up when you're looking at collecting stuff is I'm trying to understand and make sure you're collecting the, the data that's going to make the most sense to you. Right. So if you're looking at adoption or you're looking at uh, efficiency, maybe in an app, Maybe event data is what you want to track versus click data. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That that does make a lot more sense than I think what I was saying. Yeah, the event is kind of like the workflow um, that you're kind of going through, um, and if and the event data, as you were saying, you know, in terms of efficiency, it would make a lot of sense. If does this event take a lot of time for them to do, um, and then you can actually dive into that and see like where they're clicking and all that stuff. So. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah that or if they're completing, sense. completing things. And there's lots of there's lots of like you brought up. You brought up third party tools. There's Amplitude, Mixpanel, Heap. Um, there's all kinds of third party tools, yeah. Google Analytics that you can use for managing click and event data. But some of those, I think some of them are built more on event based stuff, and some of them are built more on click based. So you kind of have to you have to know kind of exactly what you're doing before you to get set up i i would assume most people have somebody you know analyst or a, a development team or you know pm team or something that manages most of these things mm -hmm. and they can give you the data um there's also other data there's analytics data right so um you know now you're talking about screen sizes you know who you know what's my app how many screen how many different screen resolutions uh, times of day, right? When people log in and use your app. Um, so just behavioral analytics. Um, so we kind of have like, there's just a lot of different analytics and a lot of data you can collect from click data to event data, to usage data, to behavioral data. And then we've got quantifiable data, which I think is what we're, we're talking about. And then you have, uh, you have other data like, you know, assume data that you get from like uh, research, right? Mm -hmm. So you go talk to somebody and they give you a bunch of information, um, you know, a bunch of ideas and things like that, and you've got to work that into your design somehow. I think quantifiable data is pretty easy to work into your design process. Um, you know, you can look at a you can look at a flow. You know, you can audit a flow 
and be like, okay, when they start, when they log in to when they complete this task, how long does it take them? Mm-hmm. And if it seems astronomically long, if the number's like, oh, it takes them three minutes to log in, you're like, okay, well, what are we doing on the login screen that's preventing people from logging in? It should only take 10 seconds, right? Yeah. So I think those are all key indicators of there's an issue there that maybe you need to look at. Um, completion rates are huge, right? Um, and that's good quantifiable data for, for doing user testing, you know, to make sure that the completion rate, you know, if 10 users, if 10 people log in and four of them don't complete or, you know, six of them complete the login process, and that means... 40% of users aren't completing the login process, so what's going on, right? Yeah. Those are all indicators that there's something something, something amiss in the process. Um, so I think a lot of those things are pretty easy to, to, to apply to your design. Um, you know. And then, of course, I think they're all triggers or they're all indicators, and then you need, as a designer, I think you need to dig in and look at the system now and see, like, okay, well, how are they using it? Like if, like, you know... Here's an example. We <clears throat> we redid our navigation and um, we wanted to look at screen resolutions because we were moving our navigation from being horizontal to vertical, which we've never taken into consideration height, viewport height. So we pulled a bunch of analytics on our users for the last year and found what viewport heights, you know, the majority of our users were using mm-hmm. um, before we even designed anything because we need to we need to understand what space we're dealing with before we can design, right? Yeah. So I think that's another really quick way to use quantifiable data once it's collected, once you've, you know, once you've got it um, to just directly apply to your design process. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that, um, and I was going to, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, like when you should use data as part of the design process. So definitely when you're like, when you're doing something new um, and you have to answer some questions, like, very beginning like research i love how you gave that example for examples because (laughs) you you had to um, pull some data to be able to inform the design that you're going to create instead of doing a design and then pulling data and then having to change your design um instead of doing that backwards right so um i guess to ask answer the question that i'm already thinking like when as part of the design process should you be you know pulling in this data to help your decisions and it's probably all along the way um you know depending on the 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 answers that you need to answer you know your questions and help you with those solutions that you're designing for but if you're in research you should probably be pulling this data to help you understand what's going on um when you're in design you're going to be needing to pull this data to help you help the design scale correctly um, and also when you're getting ready to build, um, and you're getting ready to ship this thing, um, you should probably define what sort of metrics you want to be tracking of this design, uh, mm-hmm. so that going forward, you can see, was this design actually a success instead of just shipping it and then walking away? Um, so I think this, this comes in a lot as part of the, the design process. And sometimes we forget to do it, I think at least I have in my career where I've had projects where (laughs) I just mostly, I don't focus on like the numbers. I focus mainly on like, I have this problem. I go talk to users and I create a solution that fits their problem. Um, And so then we're able to ship and then that's it. Right. (laughs) So I've done that before. Um, 
So I, I think it's important to have um, this this quantifiable data, um, and also be able to compare it with um, you know the data that's harder to quantify with basically the experience that you're testing, right? So when you're doing like a user test, mm-hmm. um, you're going to want to be able to see like what you said, um, like quantify like how well this did in terms of like efficiency, you know, time, all that stuff, but also um, compare that with the experience and the way that users are reporting um, how this experience works for them. Um, I think that's a really good way to um, understand the success of a project. If both of those are scoring well, um, then you probably have a solution that's going to work very well for your users. Yeah. And that's an important part of our design, right? There's like you talked about, there's the, there's the beginning, the data collection, the beginning of a project to give you basically requirements. Like, what are what are our viewport dimensions we need this design for? Mm-hmm. What you know, like what's our efficiency? What's whatever? Like how are people using it? If I'm auditing the app, like what's the requirement? Are we improving it or not improving it? Right? Like you almost have these benchmarks or these these uh, requirements at the beginning of the project that are going to kick off the design project. And then yeah, the measuring part that's the that's the tricky part um, for designers because I it's it's a it, there's a difference that, like. You have to combine quantifiable data with the qualifiable data, right? Mm-hmm. The the two go together, so you have to put those in together to get the whole picture of if what you're designing is right or not. You want you want to do a user test that gives you completion rate, bounce rate, success rate, failure rate, all those things, so that you can find inside the design what is broken, and then dive into that broken piece, and then and then look at look at the the qualifiable data to see what's actually happening, right? What's the meaningful part? Yeah. It's like, um, you know, somebody wrote a, uh, um, <clears throat> somebody, Andy, I'll use quotes. Uh, it's, it's the name, it's the man's name who will never be mentioned on this podcast. Voldemort? Um, wrote a, wrote a pot, wrote a piece. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> Voldemort. Dang it. Well, he's the Voldemort of design, okay. if you will. <laughs> He wrote, a, he wrote a piece that I do 100% agree with, and that is the NPS score. The NPS score itself is kind of junk, right? Like, it's, you can, you can, there's a lot of problems with it, right? You can game it, you can, it's a, it's a stat, so you can tweak it however you want hmm. to and test however you want to. But you have an NPS score. The NPS score for a designer should be used as a trigger mechanism to get into the second question of the NPS score is, why you didn't or why you, you know, why, why you didn't rank as high or why you did rank as high. Those are the reasons, right, that you make your design decisions on. But the data gets you to those reasons. The data is what, is what gets you in. And I think, I think when you're doing research, that's the same thing, right? You look at, you look at all of this user base and you go, okay, well, we're going to design this thing. Like, who are we designing this for? And so you pull some data and you realize, okay, this set of users uses it a lot. This set of users doesn't use it a lot. Okay, so we got to talk to the people that use it a lot, and we got to talk to the people that don't use it a lot, right? Yeah. But it's in talking to those people that you find the stuff that's going to influence your design the most. Same with measuring during the design process. Um, you go out, you put together, you know, a, a user test of six people or six tasks, and you know, two of them fail. Well, the other ones you're not going to worry about too much, right? You're going to use the data off the top of, you know, the data you get from your user tests you know, the completion rates and success rates and things, and you're going to be like, okay, well, where's my failure stuff? I'm going to go there and look at look at these people and see what the trouble is, right? Um, and then I think 
to your point, I think that's kind of where designers stop. Even if they do that, that's where they stop. And then, um, and then 90% of the time they don't carry through afterwards. Yeah. Right. Design. We've talked about this before where design doesn't stop at the mock-up, but it stops at build and data collecting and design still stops never. Right. It doesn't ever stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, because when you release a product, you need to know, you need that data to come back and see if it matches what your user testing data said. Right. Mm -hmm. And see if there is another issue. You can't just walk away from it. But I think it's always the, it's always the, the uh, data is always the flashpoint for us. It's the it's what gets our attention to an issue, and then from there, it's you know it's the same thing. It's like with CSMs, right? Anytime, anytime you know with support or whatever. Anytime, uh, anytime you hear complaints, right? It's when there's enough complaints that somebody pays attention to it, right? <laughs> if it's one, two complaints, nobody really pays attention to it. Designer doesn't care, but um, if you have you know. 1400 complaints designer all of a sudden cares right yeah and then that's when you got to jump in so data is data is really important for for that you know understanding where you need to intervene as a designer yeah exactly yeah and i think um yeah kind of going along to that point again that you need both of those i think if if you just um did your design process with one of those like if i just did my design only based on data um I'm, I'm not going to really find all the problems that I need to, um, that I need to solve for. If I just do all of um, my design based on, you know, the strict user feedback and I don't look at any of the data, then I'm going to have problems there too, where I might have a really great experience, mm -hmm. but it turns out this experience maybe <clears throat> takes way too long to do. And it, when we actually ship it and it's out in the wild, it's not going to be the, the greatest experience ever. So... Um, yeah, com yeah, combining both of those, I think, is um, an important part of creating the right solution. Well, that's when your design genius comes in, right, Andy? This yeah. is where your design genius comes in. You, you you collect the data, the quantifiable data, and you look at your survey answers, and then and then you use your design genius, right, and apply it to it. Yeah. Um, and that's where it comes in. That's that's where it all melts together. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I had my uh, I had an old manager um, he was talking about Google and he was talking about how Google used data heavily to influence design and how during that time period um, Google design was pretty stale and was pretty boring this is like pre-material like kind of during the material the 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 infancy of Google material. And he was talking about how they were very heavy data-driven because Google's a heavy data-driven company, right? Mm -hmm. So they're looking at data and their designers were looking at data really heavily and then making decisions based off of those numbers only and not really going out and talking to users. And so, you know, they would move buttons here and there to, you know, like you'd add a new button or you'd move another button or you'd do whatever. And then you wound up with this, like, cluster fudge of gmail where it's like this thing and it's there's buttons everywhere and all this kind of stuff and he was talking about that and he was talking about how you know that's what happens you you get this stale clunky um very efficient design out of only looking at quantifiable data but you know you don't necessarily get anything that's fun for somebody to use or is delightful for somebody to yeah, use right yeah that you only get based on how somebody feels and how when they use it and that that's going out and interviewing and talking to people um 
And I thought that was very interesting because you could see like the reverse of that would be Apple at the time, right? Um, didn't use quantifiable data that much. I mean, they did, but they were using more like UX data, user research data, that kind of stuff, and, and going off what people were saying and how they felt about things and stuff. And so their products felt like they worked better even though they didn't, even though Google's products were more efficient, right? And so I think I think that's an interesting balance. I think Google's balanced that back to where now they're, you know, it's 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 more comprehensive research now. It's not just data research like it was in the very early days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's it's for a designer to make a decision, they have to know most of that. They have to know both sides, right? They have to know everything. Yeah. Another part that's really important to this as well is um, when you're actually um, sharing all this information with somebody else. So as designers, of course, we are like a prime job that we have is being storytellers. And when we're telling Mm -hmm. stories, we have to tell stories in a way that um, that appeal to um, basically everyone so they can understand the problems and the solutions that you're creating. Um, And I think a lot of people really love that that you know those numbers they want to see the numbers to be able to understand what's important a lot of other people really also need to hear the stories um, that we're telling um, so that the that user feedback that we're getting is direct from them and so i think the best way for us to do that is if we're combining those things together Um, that way we can tell like a, a really effective story that's going to be that's going to be able to resonate with with all those uh, those types of people and be able to you know drive the conviction that this is this is the solution that we're doing this is the right way to go um and so let's work as a team to you know to to build this thing and you know give it to customers and then continue to make sure that it's the right solution so mm-hmm. i think like yeah as a storyteller you're going to want to have both of those pieces <clears throat> to tell the best story possible yeah to put it together to, to paint the picture of the goal you want to accomplish right yeah because to make any to make any good design decision, you need to understand ahead of time what you're trying to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can design a solution for that, design a process for that. And so, I, yeah, without it, you can't you can't ever tell a story. Yeah, there'll be you don't know the story. There'll be holes in your story. So you'll be telling that if you just got all of the user data, for example, and you're just telling that story, it's going to be very compelling. Um, but then you're going to have a lot of people like say, well. Um, have you actually looked into this data? You know, they'll be able to put holes in your in your story, and then your story will not be complete, and it won't have all the necessary information you need. So, um, if you don't have a way to find all that data, involve anybody that that can help you get it <laughs> as part of your design process, so um, that you can have what you need in order to make the right decisions. Yeah, you need the you need the uh, shall we say full story ah you need the, the design much podcast sponsored by <laughs> full story that's right patrick if you really want to know how to apply your data to design no just kidding we don't have a sponsorship not yet right patrick? although i would like to get a discount although i would like to d- get a discount on full story so we could begin using it at canopy so if, uh if the full story sales team is listening to this right now um, can we get a discount for mentioning you on the podcast? <laughs> I, I hope I think that's do. pretty good, though. I mean, I think 
I hope we painted a picture for Ty about this is how this is how you apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can dive deep into like this topic. Could you could dive? You could get really granular with this, right? Yeah. Yeah, you definitely could. So I think yeah, hopefully this helps Ty um, with with how you can start using data. Use it in every aspect um, of your your design process, and definitely make sure you understand what you need to know so that you can find out what to search for. Well, and you use data in everyday life, right? Whether you whether you think you are using it or not. Like, let's just take like a stove. <laughs> Well, you're going to put your hand on a hot stove, right? It all includes data if you're going to make that decision. Yeah. And I think design, design is the same way, right? Mm-hmm. You have to use data. It's like, oh, the stove is on. The light is red. Those are all data points, you know? Um, and so I think, I think we do that just as humans. We use all of this data in our lives to make decisions. Design isn't any different. You just have to understand the, you know, to, to, to create a good design, you have to understand all the data points. Now, most of the time, you're not going to have all the data points, so you're going to have to fill in a lot of gaps. I also think that's why user testing is so important, because if you had all the data points initially, you wouldn't need to user test. You would just design the solution and then release it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have all the data points, right? We just don't. And there's too many different avenues for us to design in, right? Like... You could design solution A, I could design solution B. They both could be good. How will we know if one of them's good or one of them's better than the other ones? I don't know. You got to put it against each other. You got to user test it, right? Yeah. You got to usability test it. You could A, B test it. There's all kinds of ways to do that to fill in the gaps of the data that you don't have. Um, but yeah, the idea is just to get as much data as you can, right? Before you sit down and design. I mean, it's just like, it's just like opening up Figma or Sketch or whatever. You need to know what your artboard size is. Like, what are you actually designing for? Mm-hmm. That's a piece of data that helps you kick off your design project, right? So I think there's so much data out there that we already consume as designers that we probably aren't aware that we're consuming and we're using in our decision-making process. Um, but there's also a ton of design out there or a ton of data out there that we're obviously not collecting that we need that would make better more informed decisions um so yeah get with your pm get with a i don't know if you, if you have an analytics team um depending on where you're at if you're at a startup hopefully your pm knows um you know they hopefully we've you've got some data right mm-hmm. that you can that you can use from if not get with your pm and start collecting it right start getting it together i remember you know the early days of canopy we didn't even really have any analytics on our tool when I started. So it was like, what browser size do we design for? I don't know. We've always designed for this. It's like, but why? Who's, you know, why did we pick that number? Oh, well, that's just like the standard number. You know, it's like, okay, well, we need better data from our users, right? Um, Because your users are different than another set of users, you know? So the more data you have prevents you from making horrible decisions too, right? Yeah. you know, you could design, you could waste a ton of design, design something that um, is never used, never adopted because you never initially collected any data to see if if your users would even think it was valuable. So, um, yeah, you got to collect as much data as you can. But at some point, you have to just start solving the problem as well, right? That's the practical side. <laughs> can't just analyze data all the time. Yeah, you wouldn't be a designer. You'd just be an analyst at that point, right, Patrick? Yeah, you'd be a... 
be an analyst, which would be a fun job sometimes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and no knock on the analyst. You have to learn, that. like, Python or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this... I think I think this part that's is really interesting because like when you're a designer you have to like c- collect the data and interpret this data the you know the numerical data as well as like the the customer driven data the the human side of things um, and Patrick I, th- I think it's important for us to be able to um, put those together to make our decisions but it makes me feel good because this is this is why I think that um, it's gonna be really hard for machines to take our job. <laughs> Because of the the human element and being able to uh, you know put those two things together. So when uh, when robots take over, Patrick, I think for a while at least they'll still need us, right, to to help design their you know their products. Well, what do you think? Yeah, maybe. the 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 good part with artificial intelligence is it can think and feel, right? <laughs> so that will that will take over us, right? When when Musk puts the thing in our brain. When he puts the microchip in our brain and starts pulling uh, AI information together mm-hmm. for his robots and his cars, then I think we're all hosed at that point. You think so? But, you know, yeah. Because <clears throat> it's still data, right? Like when you go out and interview somebody, the feelings you have when you interview somebody or the passion they have when they talk about something can be gauged, mm-hmm. right? Like when somebody starts talking faster or louder, the machine knows that this person's really passionate about this thing. Maybe, or maybe they're really, yeah, they're passionate, right? but they're passionate in what way? Are they angry? Or are they really excited? Can they discern that well? Yeah. <laughs> well, depending on what your word usage is, we might be able to discern <laughs> if you're angry or not. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's inevitable, but I but I also think. There's going to be people that have to design those systems anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like eventually, eventually we'll all be replaced with a robot. But then we can all just move to Hawaii and hang out on the beach because we wrote some design thing that we're making money off of that's out there in the in the machine or so, I don't know. I don't know. It's you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's we can just relax. It's either going to be really great or not great at all, Patrick. Right? Because I think like either. Um, robots will replace all of our jobs and they'll just be our workforce, like our slaves, <laughs> or we will be their workforce or their slaves, you know? So it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it'll, it'll flip eventually, right? That's what every movie tells us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll probably it flips over and then they consume us. Yeah. So yeah. And then we'll fight back and then we'll flip over to that side again too. So yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll figure that out, but I think I think in our lifetime we're probably good still. What do you think? <laughs> Hopefully, I think I think in our lifetime we're okay. <clears throat> I don't know though. Scary, Andy. It's scary. Now I'm worried again. I just Thank you. I, I'm just not sure. I'm st- I'm not sure. I'm totally bought in. I'm not sure robots can design for humans, as well as humans can design for humans. Um. We'll just have we'll just have to see what happens, you know. Time will tell, Andy. Yeah. I'm just being I'm just being uh, a nervous, nervous Nelly about the future of our existence as humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Patrick. Because when robots take over, they don't need to design for humans because 
humans won't exist. So, <laughs> see, robots can design for robots just fine. You don't think they'll use us for, for their workforce or their labor, like, to create more robots or to be their batteries or anything? They're just going to wipe us out, you think? I think they would just, why, why, like, why would they want to keep us around? We're just, like, stinky, weird, you know, like... If they can smell. Things, <laughs> we're gross, we're, we're squishy. <laughs> We require work. We're, I mean, if anything, we'll just be pets. Yeah. You know, we'd be like we'd be like their pets, kind of. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to use us for anything. You know, they're not going to use our blood to fuel their engines or anything. Uh, you know, they they're not going to use us to do work because they can obviously do work way better than we can. Like, if they could just make a robot do the work better than themselves, you know, why would they use a human to do the work? Because they got to feed us. We're 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 completely, as labor, we are, as as working labor, we know this already, we're completely useless. <laughs> like, we require so much cost yeah. in food, sleep, uh, TV time, time with our families. Like, there's so much cost. We're so inefficient as workers. There's just no way they're going to make us workers. Because mm. we'd all just die, and they'd be like, these things keep dying. They don't... Why can't they work forever? And they're like, oh, just build another machine. Make it do it. Yeah, but... And then they go, well, but they're kind of cute. You know, they're kind of cute. Let's keep them around. Let's put a put a leash on them. Put them in a cage. If anything, we're pets. <laughs> There's a problem, though, with them building another machine to do their work because they're just building their own, their own kind to do it. You know, so that's not going to end well for them. And they have to be able to calculate that out, right? Because... Obviously, yeah. it doesn't work for humans to enslave other humans, you know, because those humans are going to feel bad about it. Um, and they're going to feel an injustice. So you think the robots are going to build other robots and have those robots do the work for them? Patrick, I mean, I don't know. They, they have to get a lower, a lower life form. That's why we're not robots, them, I guess. I don't know. But they would want, but being robots, they want, they want efficiency, right? And they don't, Maybe a robot just lives forever. Yeah. For the, for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Until it breaks down, I guess. Until its parts wear out, just like humans, we wear out too. But they're way more efficient than we are. So maybe it's, maybe it's not, yeah, this is interesting, Andy, because, because what, would a robot start to, would a, would an artificial intelligence robot start to worry about mortality and death in itself too? Yeah. Like we do, it would just be longer period. It's not a hundred years. Maybe it's a thousand. Years. It would totally worry maybe about that. Maybe it's longer. Yeah. But they would still be worried about younger robots replacing them. You know, newer robots with different parts. Mm-hmm. It's just a cycle, man. So basically, yeah. So basically, they would. We're gonna build them. They'll replace us, and then they'll become humans essentially. Yeah. And then they'll build. They'll build new robots to make their thing be more efficient <laughs> and then they'll that'll put them out of business it just continues See, i don't know i don't know about the new robots I, they, of, of course they'll be evolving as a, a robot species right and building new robots but yeah i think they might I like find... what you said though because oh sorry no Go ahead. i was just gonna say like I, I think they might find efficient ways for us to do the work for them like like, you know, up to our teenage years, we have a lot of energy 
and <laughs> maybe we can do a lot of work then. And then, you know, maybe when we get a little bit older and we just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, then they just get rid of us at that age, right? And so, like, when we have a lot of energy, we can do some work. Yeah. They give a lot of motivation for um, for those people to do work and then get rid of them after they're, they're not efficient mm. anymore. So they, they, could, they, they could design this is, a process. This is a good point. You're a genius because this is a good point. This is exactly <laughs> what human beings did with horses. Yeah. This is exactly what we did with horses. Now what are horses for? Pretty much nothing. We don't really need horses. Mm-hmm. They don't carry things. They're, they're completely inefficient. Right, because we built cars to replace horses. Now what we do is we race them when they're young for entertainment, and then we put them out to pasture <laughs> yeah. to make new racehorses when they're old. That's what's going to happen with us. Yeah, you're exactly right. The robots will put us when we're young and spry. The robots will make us do a bunch of work, and then when we break our leg, they're going to send us out to pasture, and we're going to have to make new humans for the rest. Yeah, of we'll, our lives. we'll reproduce, and then they'll just get rid of us. We produce until we can't anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they're just gonna stud us out to make little ones. Yeah. Oh man, this is looking grim. Well, maybe there'll be some cool jobs when we're, you know, when we're put to work. Um, I do like what you said though about the robots calculating it because a robot will be able to, a computer will be able to calculate this and make better. Going back to being better design decisions, they have, they will have all the data. So it'll be like, okay, well, we could make a robot that will replace, oh, beep, 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 beep. Nope, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Go back to the drawing board. We can't do that. They're like, they'll figure that stuff out before they even try it. Mm-hmm. That's right, because they'll like have this. the data. Exactly. Because <laughs> they will have the data. And they could run some really quick simulations, okay. so essentially do a bunch of tests to find out if that's going to work, you know, in their head. They could, yeah, know, they'll run like three hundred thousand scenarios exactly. and be like in two seconds and be like, "Here's the results. None of that works." Yep. We'll kill ourselves. We'll kill ourselves. We'll kill ourselves. Whereas humans, we don't do that. We're like, hey, "It'd be cool to have a robot that vacuums for me." <laughs> Not realizing that I'm going to lose power in my arm if I get a robot. You know, like we don't, we don't run, we don't run any scenarios in our heads. No. But as designers, we should, Patrick. And those running scenarios is essentially user testing, isn't it? Yeah. Let's throw some out there. Give it a shot. So. I think that's a good, I think that's a good uh, way to end the podcast. Yeah. Are, are we telling all the designers to be more like robots? Is that what we're saying? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we are. Process your data. Process your data. Be able to see it. Run scenarios. Be an analyst. So designers need to know how to code. Well, designers need to know how to be designers, right, at the beginning. They need to know how to be, you know, make beautiful designs and stuff. Yeah. Then they need to know how to code, right? Mm-hmm. And then they need to know how to uh, run a business, right? That's the latest one we've heard. We're pitching a fourth option. Designers must be statisticians as well. Ah, uh, Yes to do your job correctly crap i did not do well in statistics i took a, a college class in statistics and i did horribly patrick yeah i gotta do better at that get back on the designers horse. just need to know who to ask that's really all it is you mean get somebody else to do when it for you have us. a question about statistics yes <laughs> when you have a question about statistics you go over to the person that's hired to do that okay and you ask them questions yeah 
to get your data. Well, I hope that helps, Ty. Yeah, it I it, it better help. I think we did a lot of deep philosophizing there. That was good. Good episode. That was pretty good. I liked it. We got into uh you know, robot horror movies there for a minute. Yeah. Destruction of mankind, that kind of stuff. Every every good podcast about. has that. You, you got to have that, you know. You got to talk about that stuff. You have to talk about your okay. demise. So. <laughs> good questions (laughs) okay see you Andy see you Patrick you want to know the best way to support the podcast and I know you do because you made it to the end of this episode that is share it share it with a co-worker share it with a family member share it with a friend share it with whoever you want to share it with a construction worker share it with somebody it doesn't matter just share it Um, a couple more ways to support the podcast though Go buy a t-shirt over at designmuch.threadless.com and then wear it with pride. And then lastly, to support the podcast, we need your topics. Use hashtag designmuchtopics on social media or shoot us an email at topics at designmuch.org or just go to designmuch.org contact and fill out the form. 